You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. Connect with us online at redemptioncalgarysouth.com. If you got a Bible with you, you'd open that up to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 5 as we left off last week. I want to welcome you to church uh, for those who are here with us and those who are online. Uh, we love to see you here and worshiping along with us this morning and praising the Lord together for his glory. Just before we start, I want to mention one thing here. We've, uh, we've got a bit of an outreach uh, ministry that uh, we're just doing in the next uh, week here. Um, we're reaching out to some of the hospital workers some of the care workers uh, working hard in the hospital uh, over the past year. And it's really just, it's a card that says that we care about them. We've got a scripture verse on there, Romans 10, 10. Uh, For the with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, from Romans 10, 10. And with the cards, we're just wanting to, we're giving out a $5 Tim card to, to the health workers in thanks for all they're doing, but also to let them know that they are loved and that uh, there is an eternal message that saves. And so uh, if you, we've already generated some cash towards that, uh, but that's happening here in the next week. I believe Jeremy's going to hand some of those out to hospital workers, but also something we will consider in the future as well. But, but I want to pray just over this, that, uh, that even one card would do some deep spiritual work and would generate conversations about the gospel with, uh, with some of the workers out there in the health industry. Let me just pray for them right now. Lord, we thank you. For this Lord's Day, we thank you for uh, what you're doing. We do thank you that uh, even in the midst of uh, these challenging times and uh, in, in different seasons in the hospital, for those who have been caring for for us, and uh, and even how the how the pandemic has has uh, altered how other care is being done and the stresses that go along with that, uh, we just we thank you for the hospital workers that you have given us, uh, from the doctors to the nurses to the practitioners and every uh, other worker out there that, that uh, commits their life to serve uh, the health of the people. And so uh, just with this small token of thanks and love, we pray that you would use uh, this outreach, this mercy outreach uh, for them, that you would, uh, by your spirit, be drawing them close to you and you would use it to save and use it to encourage people towards your glory, towards your grace, towards salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so First Timothy. Let me get my sermon notes open here. Um, again, we've been walking through the book of First Timothy. We've been searching the scriptures uh, in this book about what it means to uh, become a healthy church, uh, looking at the Word of God for the instructions that, that Paul is giving to Timothy and the church in Ephesus uh, for how we are to do that, and we're applying it to our church here as well as this is timeless truth for us. And, uh, and as we are looking at uh, chapter 5 this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions regarding the topic of mercy because uh, the topic today is really about mercy and how we go about doing works of mercy. And uh, so the question I've got for you is, um, in this, this world that we have uh, around us, when it comes to the topic of mercy and charity in our lives, the world is full of struggles and needs and, and, and the fact that there are countless causes and charities vying for your financial support, let me ask you, how do you go about making that decision in your personal life? How do you go about supporting and, and donating funds to those who are in need? 
right? How do you, how do you approach the decision at that checkout counter when, uh, when they're, they're asking you to give a little bit of extra money or to go through that drive-through and, and give to that certain charity uh, or that TV commercial that is, that, that is asking you to, to raise funds for a certain cause? As these, as these uh, charities are trying to uh, raise funds and, and, and take care of a need and they're asking for your help, we as Christians, how are we to respond to that and how do we respond and make decisions when it comes to charity and care and open-handedness? How do you choose who and what to support? How do you decide when to support and, 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 and how to support? Do you just support every cause that comes across your lap, or do you have to use discernment? If so, how do you use that discernment? How do you discern which cases or causes to support? So as a pastor, on, on behalf of the church, I get regular calls all the time. I get emails all the time and requests for, for, for all kinds of, of charities and ministries and people around the world seeking help asking for money to help them in their poverty, to help them in their trouble, right? The truth is that in a fallen world, there is no shortage of need out there, right? There's no shortage of, of distress in a fallen world, causes to be helping out with. And yes, as Christians, as we follow our Savior and His compassion, especially as Christians, we want to be charitable people, right? We love to help. We want to support. But how do we choose? How do we discern who to help and what to help as a church? Do we just support every person and every cause? What do we do? So as a healthy church is a merciful church, right? Jesus is merciful. Our God is merciful and gracious. As a healthy church is then a merciful church, when it comes to showing mercy, is there biblical wisdom for us? Is there wisdom in Scripture for how we are to go about this? Which brings us to our text today. Or should I say the text brings us to this today from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 16. And what we're going to see here is Paul instructing Timothy and the Ephesian church of how they are to support widows within the church. So let's start by reading that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 16. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But 
refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going around from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you that by your grace, we've got this privilege on Sunday mornings, on this Lord's Day, uh, this, this day in the, at the beginning of the week, that we get to set the week straight. We get to set our eyes on you so that you would, you would fuel our fire for the week. And that by your word, by your spirit, you would do a deep work within us. And as we look at this text, this text about widows, uh, even right now, maybe we're a little puzzled about how do we apply this. But Lord, we ask you but that by your spirit, by your grace, that you would illuminate the word to our hearts and that you would teach us how to apply this directly to our church and to our lives as we desire to move forward as a healthy church. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray that you would receive all the worship that is due your name today in this church. We pray in Christ's name, amen. A healthy church is a merciful church, a church that longs to, to love and to care for the needy. And, and this is the same care that we've seen from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he was on this planet but when it comes to showing mercy as a church, friends, we need wisdom. We really do. We need, we need discernment. We, we need to ensure that the church, as we just read, is not overburdened so that we can be truly helpful for those who are in need, so that we can truly serve those who are truly needy. And so as we examine this specific challenge of caring for widows in the Ephesian context here, what we're going to see is five principles for us uh, to guide us and to give us wisdom for how we are to go about supporting the needy, uh, to be showing mercy as a church. And this all starts in verses 3 to 5, where we're going to see the first principle that we're going to apply here this morning, and that is this, that when it comes to supporting the needy, we need to start by authenticating the need. We need to start by authenticating the need. So, as the Ephesian church was experiencing here, this, this was a challenging issue going on. The challenge was care for the widows. And so Paul is instructing Timothy here first to engage the issue by what? It says in verse 3 that he is to, and the church is to, honor widows who are truly widows. To say it another way, it's to honor widows who are widows indeed. And in that, he's calling, in that phrase, calling Timothy to authenticate the need. Now, as we see that the, this problem with widows is, is facing the Ephesian church, this is one of those instances in Scripture that may feel like it really doesn't apply readily, that, uh, that uh, whatever the church was facing at that time in their context and in their practice 
back then. Maybe it really doesn't feel right now in our church that this applies to us here today. Now, to be sure, there are churches today who have established ministry to widows, vibrant ministry to widows, churches that may have a more elderly population where we would see that this would more readily apply. But as we're a very young church, and we just have a few older brothers and sisters among us, and yes, we've had a few widows among us over the years as well, we may be tempted in this text, just to, just to kind of skip by and, and to glaze over it, to kind of look over this section of Scripture in order to get to something more applicable, right? Well, as, as much as that is a temptation, we remember that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. And we also remember that where the Bible may seem to be more descriptive about a, a certain situation um, and less prescriptive, we have to realize there's always implications from the text. There's always principles that we pull out that can readily apply to our situation and our scenario as well for any church of any time. And so this care of widows may seem to be something kind of far off for us, but it was a big deal in Ephesus. It was a big deal to Paul. It was a big deal to Timothy. It was a big deal to God. It is a big deal to God. You see, friends, the care of widows in the eyes of God was a massive deal. When Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows, this command to honor a widow is really the inside scoop to the very heart of God himself. That God has a special place of mercy and compassion for widows. He's, he's, he's concerned for the provision and the protection of widows. Again, last week we went through the fifth commandment, but again, that applies here today, right? The fifth commandment calls us to honor our fathers and our mothers, right? And as Paul says, honor widows, this is an extension of that command, right? That when a, a woman's wife dies and leaves her all alone, the honor that she is to receive is to be amplified, because God is extremely concerned for the widow's welfare. We see this throughout the scriptures. We see that through the fifth commandment. We also see that soon after the fifth commandment in Exodus 22.22, where God says through Moses, he says, you shall not mistreat any widow or a fatherless child. You'll actually see that in Scripture over and over again. Widows and orphans are often spoken of together in Scripture of, of God's extreme concern. Verse 23 says, If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. That's how, that's how serious God takes the protection of widows. A biblical theology of widows across the scriptures will attest to this. Deuteronomy 10, 18. It says about God that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 146, 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, right? This is God's very character, that his character and his heart is bent towards the protection of widows, Psalm 68.5, right? He's a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? Right? That's his character. It's who he is. And this translate, 
translates across the New Covenant, the New Testament as well. Perhaps you've read in James 1.27 where James talks about pure religion. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and the widows in their affliction. Anybody think God's concerned about widows? When Jesus himself walked the earth, he raised a widow's son from the dead because he was concerned for the care of that widow. Luke 7, 12 to 15. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. And it says he was the only son of his mother. But then it says he was not only the son of his mother, but she was a widow. Right? There was nobody left to care for her. And it says here in, in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. For those of us reading the Gentle and Lonely book, you've seen that word compassion, right? His, his, his very uh, insights, his very guts, right, were moved towards her in compassion. And he says to her, do not weep. And then he came and touched the buyer, that's the coffin, and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, but it doesn't end there. Take notice. It says, and Jesus gave him to his mother. He was concerned for her. God cares deeply for the welfare of widows. Right? When Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, and then he warned everybody in there, he warned everybody about the Pharisees and the scribes, he charged them in Mark 12, 40, as those who were doing what? They're devouring widows' homes, right? They were preying upon unsuspecting widows and widows who had absolutely nothing to begin with. Remember when the poor widow came and she put in her two copper coins into the offering. Jesus wasn't commending her for doing that, but rather he was fiercely condemning the scribes' actions. Mark 12, 42 to 44. And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. God hates it when the widow is preyed upon. He wants her protected. And in these ancient times, in these ancient days, which are quite different than what we're facing today, he was truly concerned for the widow. Back then, women, let alone widows, were not a part of the workforce. No, they were solely dependent on the provision earned by their husbands. And if your husband died, this puts you in an extremely precarious place. Just like that widow who is barely able to run two coins together in her own hand. And so at that time and throughout Jewish history, there was a customary practice as guided by the scriptures with the Jews and then into the New Testament church as well as ministry towards widows, care for widows. We recently just talked about Acts 6 as well, right? That as the New Testament church began growing by the thousands, that one of the first issues faced by the church at that time was what? It was care for the widows. Seven men of good repute were chosen, right? In Acts chapter 6, 
in order to serve who? To serve the widows. Right? It was a necessary and consuming practical ministry. Right? The apostles had to delegate that off to others so that they could get back to the word of God in prayer. But those widows needed to be cared for. It was a consuming practical ministry. And it was carried on at that time and then carried into this church in Ephesus. So it's just a bit of a biblical theology of God's care for widows and where we arrive here now in Ephesus where Paul is commanding Timothy to honor the widows, keras. The Greek word here meaning any woman who has either lost her husband to death or in a very general sense as well as any woman that, that was abandoned by her husband. Paul says, honor the widow. The word for honor here uh, means more than just to revere her or to respect her, but it actually has finan- uh, financial connotations to it. That we support widows with our financial means, material provisions. Why? Because she was not a part of the workforce. And so as God has a special place in his heart, a special care for widows over the ages, Timothy and the church here are to continue in that care. And by all accounts, what's revealed here is that that as they were caring for widows, what we see is there's a problem going on. A problem that needed some real attention. And that's why Paul doesn't just start and stop by saying, honor the widows, but he rather, he qualifies that. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. It seems that along with the other problems going on in Ephesus, that the church was being taken advantage of. That there were widows who weren't truly widows, and they were burdening the church. They were taking advantage of this mercy ministry. And so Paul calls Timothy to address the situation. That when it comes to the widows, Timothy needs to authenticate those who were truly widows. That if a widow wasn't a truly widow, she didn't, if she didn't qualify for that church's assistance, she shouldn't be on the program. Verse 4, he says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and, and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, take notice there, is left all alone, verse 5. And she has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So what we're seeing here, there is a problem going on. There were those in the church who were rightly widows, right? They were truly left alone, as we see in the text, and they were faithful, but there was also those who were taking advantage of the system, right? It says, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And so as God's heart is bent towards the care of true widows, so Timothy and the church needs discernment. They need to authenticate the need. Now, as I said already, we're a young church, and uh, the direct contextual application seems not to fit. Um, Yes, uh, we have had widows, and we have widows in our our midst, 
Um, but we are in a different age as well as far as care is concerned. Um, but we do, we, we fully want to embrace, as that comes for us, ministry to widows. But that may be something that's very far off for us as a church. And like I said, there are principles here, though, that we need to apply. And the principles are all around mercy. Principles of mercy for our church. So as we seek to be a healthy church, and as a healthy church is a merciful church, how Timothy was to authenticate the true need for the widow ministry, we also need to be careful how we extend ourselves as a church in ministry as well. Although we're all called to be open-handed and called to be generous and hospitable to all, as we engage as a church in, in serious, dedicated mercy ministry, like the care for widows or the care of orphans or anything that we commit to as a body of Christ, extending mercy to the world, the direction from the scriptures, the direction from the Lord here is for us to be careful. It's for us to be discerning. And it's for us to be authenticating the need. So, you know, as I mentioned already, I get phone calls and emails all the time requesting commitment and finances from our church for individuals outside of our church and all kinds of mercy ministries. The truth is that if, as much as we, we'd love to just give and give and give and help everyone, the reality is that we must help carefully. Part of the job of pastors and and elders is to evaluate ministries and, and individuals that are coming to us for help. Right? Not, not that we're, we're going to let our left hand know what our, our right hand is doing. Not that we're going to be stingy, but that we want to help biblically. We want to help where help is needed truly. So, for example, over the past couple of years, I've received on a, on a very regular basis a phone call from a certain guy. And I just received that phone call this past week again. A gentleman that's not in our church, a gentleman requesting money. And, uh, and at first, we, you know, I heard the guy out. I, I met up with him a few years ago and heard his story. And then as a church, on behalf of the church, we gave him a gift card for groceries. Out of mercy and out of love, out of his need, which which was great. We wanted to love him in that. We wanted to help him. And then a few weeks later, I got the same phone call again from the same guy with the same story. And as I dug a little deeper into the story, I found out the deeper story behind it. And so I asked him a couple questions to try to authenticate the need. And what I discovered is that this guy really just makes it a routine to go from church to church, not going to the church, but just going from church to church in Calgary asking uh, for need. This was his, his normal mode of operation. Not coming to the church for spiritual help, but, but trolling local churches for financial help. And again, as much as we want to be helpful, we want to be generous, I've seen this over and over again. There, there was a, another family outside of our church looking for financial help, and as I talked with them on the phone, they were asking for help financially, and so I asked some questions about, well, what do you need finances for? What do you need money for? Well, they needed money to pay their cable bill. They needed money to pay their cell phone bill. Uh, but as a rule, we, we don't make it a practice to pay bills, uh, especially for non-essentials like these things. Uh, we don't make it a practice to, to, to come alongside and to pay for the Netflix or the cable or the kids' cell phones. These are not essential things. 
And so through that, I had to authenticate the need. Right? We, we make it a pretty good practice. If, if somebody comes to us with need, we often go to them with need for food. We'll give them a grocery card for food to, tr- to try to uh, be discerning in that. We have to be careful because we have to be careful that there's true need that we are helping. So as we're looking at this text, as we see uh, widowhood being uh, on the forefront hill here, we see Timothy choosing to, to authenticate the veracity of the widowhood, Right? that this needed to be verified in Ephesus. And so as a church as well, we need to verify the veracity of any given ministry or any ongoing opportunity of, of mercy as a church. When it comes to benevolence, yes, we want to be charitable. Yes, we want to be generous. Yes, we want to be loving as a church. But according to the biblical principles, we need to authenticate the need because we truly want to help those who truly need help. Now, the second principle we see here when it comes to mercy as modeled through the widow ministry in Ephesus is what we see here starting in verse 4, or going back to verse 4. It says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. As children and grandchildren are obliged to honor and care for their own parents and grandparents, Paul reveals that that along with authenticating the need, Timothy needs to evaluate the obligation. Verse 7, he says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. As all people in the church are called uh, to living above reproach lives, right? right? Not just the elders, not just the deacons. As we're all called to discipline ourselves for godliness, part of the above reproach character we're shooting for and the godliness we're pursuing according to verse 4 and 8 here, is revealed in how we honor and serve the household. How one is to make a return to their parents for their parents or grandparents' concern for them over the years. That that the biblical principle, according to Paul here, when it comes to caring for, for widows, is that the first obligation for caring for widows goes to who? It goes to the children. And, or it goes to the children's children. It goes to, to grandchildren. This is the plan of God. Because as verse 4 says, it is pleasing to who? It's pleasing in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to your parents or your grandparents, if you want to please God in their aging years, how you care for them plays a big part. Especially as Paul says here, when it comes to mom or grandma being widowed. Again, remembering the the, the context that the widows at that time were facing a very destitute state. Not so much the same today, but it, it can happen today as well. But more so in the ancient times. But nonetheless, there's biblical precedence here. There's, that, that although society right now is somewhat different, in our Western culture, we have, we have uh, the freedom today, as not so much back then, uh, for our, our women to have careers and jobs and to care But nonetheless, when it comes to mom or grandma needing care and help, if there are children and grandchildren in the picture, the onus is on them 
The onus is on you. Right? If you call yourself a Christian and you don't care for your parents when they're in need, you're not acting as a believer. That's why Paul says in verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? Not just widows, but he also shows us household members and relatives. If you don't care or provide for them when they are in need, Paul says that you're worse than an unbeliever. That hurts. That's harsh. But it's biblically true. Even at that time, the pagan culture knew that you were to care for your parents. And so obviously what's going on here in Ephesus is, or in, in, emphasis, in Ephesus is that the, the ministry to widows was, was being taken advantage of. People were assuming that the church was just going to care for all the widows, even when it was their obligation to take care of their own. Well, as we established, a widow who is truly a widow, according to Scripture, is a widow who is, as verse 5 says, is left all alone meaning that she has nobody. She has no sons, she has no daughters, and she has no grandchildren to care for her, for her, or they have rejected her altogether. She has nobody. And so it was the duty of Timothy and the elders at Ephesus to discern her need, to, to, to evaluate the obligation at hand, and to ask the question, is there family that is obliged to care for you? So let's just say that there's a widow in our church who desperately needs help. What do we do about it? What if in the years down the road as a church, there are many widows in our church who need help? What do we do about that? Well, first, with the same heart of our God, we want to provide, we want to protect our widows, right? That's our hearts for sure towards them. But as the scriptures instruct, the first question we need to ask is, is there family around that needs to care for this widow? Is there Christian family who understands her need and they understand their obligation to their mother or their grandmother? Right? As, as elders in, in the church, we have to, be, we have to make sure that, that, that when we're engaging a widow to, to care for her, we need to first look at whose responsibility it is according to the Scriptures. That those who are pursuing godliness and those who are Christians are mercifully pursuing their own family to help. And if that's the case, that's awesome. But if that's not the case, the church steps in and the principles are applied in its full benevolence towards that widow. As I was an elder in our North Church, as we're applying these principles to our situation, uh, we would often be called to help people in times of financial trouble. And, and as a rule, the first time we would help, we wouldn't ask questions. We would hear the case with charity and, and then just respond generously with the love of Christ, to love them in their time of need. But, but when it came to ongoing cases or larger requests for help, we had to end up creating a benevolency policy to follow uh, out of the scriptures. And, and, and a part of that benevolency policy was that we needed to authenticate the need, as we've already discussed. And along with that, we also needed to be asking the relative question, right? Who have you sought in your family for help? Because as the widow, 
uh, outlined, the widow, widow cases outlined here by Paul clearly state that it is the family who is to be first in line when it comes to responsibility. But if they don't help, or if they don't have family, then we move the ball down the road and we help them in providing assistance for them. For example, let's say an older gentleman in the church is facing a medical issue. He has ongoing medication to be covered and it's expensive and he has no means of paying that for himself. Again, we would be there for him in an instant and and cover that momentary help. But as it's an ongoing, larger commitment, we would also biblically investigate whether or not he's got family to help him, especially if they're a Christian family, right? We see this example for us in the scriptures very clearly. When there was a famine in, in the land of Israel, what did Joseph do for his father and his, and his family? Genesis 45, 9 to 11, he, he sends for his father, right? There's a famine. He sends for him. Verse 9, he says, hurry and, and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. He loved his father. He loved his father enough, and and when you know the story, even in light of the terrible sin of his family, abandoning him to death, what does he do when there's a famine? He honors them. He cares for them. He cares for his father and his family in their time of need. When it comes to a time of need, the family is the first obligation. As family, we must be first in line to care for our parents, especially widows. Again, we see that modeled not only by Joseph, but but by Jesus himself. When upon the last moments of Jesus' life, as his mother, who was probably a widow at that time, as Jesus is on the cross, as he's suffering and dying for the sins of the world, just before he breathes his last breath, as he's suffering the wrath of God for sin, he never forgot to honor his mother. John's Gospel shows us in chapter 9, verse 26 to 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, right, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, he said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. He took care of her as his mother. Jesus was concerned for the welfare of his widowed mother. He didn't leave her helpless. He honored her and he cared for her, even at the point of death as he was suffering for your sin and my sin. We need to evaluate the obligation. Family comes first in the care of the needy. And then as we get to verse 9, we see an even further principle here to apply, and that's the principle of prioritizing the church or prioritizing the faithful. As true widows are identified, Paul says in verse 9, let a widow be enrolled, right, to be put on the list of care if she is not less than 60 years of age. They had some kind of an age standard at that time that was appropriate for their context. 
And having been the wife of one husband, right, she was above reproach in her marriage and having a reputation for good works, right? Good works as, as in she brought up children, right? She was a faithful mom. She, she showed hospitality, right? She herself was an open-handed uh, carer of others. She washed the feet of the saints, right? She was a faithful servant, and she has cared for the afflicted, and she has devoted herself to every good work. Paul is basically setting the standard that if, if a widow has been uh, faithful within her calling as a Christian, and as she devoted herself uh, to every good work, she is therefore prioritized in the enro enrollment or the list of help from the church to care for her. If the evidence of her Christian walk revealed that she was fully committed to the church, then the church has absolutely no problem fully committing to her care. And as there was an enrollment or a list, uh, this means that there was, this was more than a one-time kind of help. This wasn't just a momentary assistance. Uh, according to the fact that she was on a list, meant that there was an ongoing official commitment to sustain her in her life. And as the church in Ephesus was responsible to care for these widows, there were standards to that responsibility. And the standard was faithfulness, as we see in the text. That the widows who were prioritized were widows within the church. She was to be over a certain age. She was to have a legacy of faithfulness in the church. And then the church commits to help. And as much as we generously and willingly help outside the church, we are to help that much more within the church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Friends, as we are to aim our love towards all and help all when one member of the body is hurting or in need, you know, as, as, a, as a physical body pours its resources into an injury to, to heal it, so we, as the body of Christ, run to help the member of the body, and they have the highest priority, right? As many opportunities of mercy are coming our way all the time, it's those of the household of faith that should get our first attention. As this widow is qualified through her testimony of faith in the church, it is those of the faith that we watch and we care for all the more. Right? That's, why, that's why when a brother or a sister gets sick or has a new baby, we're there to help. We love to help. And it's quick help because we love you as family. We'll treat you as family. That's why if it ever came to financial need, and, and, and there have been cases in our, within our existence as a church, that if you were a part of the redemption family, help will come. And help will be for you there quickly. And not only in an official way from leadership, but what I've witnessed with our church family is that they're so generous to you in your need, in your time of need. We love to help, and we will help you. It goes the same with counsel. If this is your church home, you will get the attention of counsel first. I get requests quite regularly as well in the past for people outside the church searching out counseling. 
And there have been times when I've had to either decline or pass off because of my limited time and resources. And whatever we're dealing with here, I have had to prioritize the church. I mean, counseling that's going on in the church first. So when it comes to showing mercy, yes, we help those outside the church, of course. But when it comes to to our commitment, we have to prioritize our people. And they were prioritizing the widows in Ephesus. And then when we get to verse 11 to 15, it reveals that when it comes to showing mercy, sometimes you also have to withhold in wisdom. Verse 11, it says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, Paul says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Brothers and sisters, to withhold, to withhold help is sometimes the wisest thing you can do. For Paul and Timothy, in the context of the, the Ephesian church, putting younger women on the list of enrollment, or younger widows on the list of enrollment for help and support, would end up becoming a bigger problem. A problem for the church and a problem for that younger widow. In fact, putting them on the list wasn't going to help them at all. But what it was going to do was going to enable them to sin. Paul says their passions were going to pull them away from Christ as they would desire to marry. And and this would possibly even mean that they were marrying unbelievers, which is this whole incurring condemnation, right? They would even be abandoning their faith for a man. How often have you seen that? And then on top of that, the idleness of the widow uh, at her young age could cause gossip to to rise up in her heart and busybodiness to to take root, saying things that she shouldn't. No, what Paul's saying is rather they should be putting, rather than putting the younger ladies on the list, Paul's counsel is that they should marry. That instead of being idle, that, that the Christian men should pursue them in marriage and they should be looking for that so that young energy, that young drive, that young passion that God has given them in their young age would be exercised and directed towards bearing children, managing their households, right? This would have been the same honorable life that these older women would have lived so that the adversary, Satan, would not get a hold, Right? That in her potential idleness, Satan would not accuse. So for the Ephesians, and even for today, there is wisdom for younger women to remarry. There is wisdom in how you approach mercy towards them. Mercy that is helpful for some, but is unhelpful for others. For example, just in parenting itself, if you do everything for your children... How will they ever learn to do it for themselves? If you keep showing mercy towards a wayward child when in fact what they need is withholding, how will they ever learn responsibility? Same goes for the financial help of the needy. 
as good and as right as it is to step in and to help somebody in their immediate need, and we should do that, you have to be careful not to end up becoming an unhelpful enabler. If you help somebody so much that it removes their own responsibility, it creates fertile ground for idleness, for busybodiness, which leads to sin. No, the scriptures are pretty clear. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If the church enables someone against what they are able to do for themselves, what they are created to do by God, we do a disservice to them. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were instructed to help the poor. But what's interesting is the wisdom and how they were to go about doing it. Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap your harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Right? There was an ongoing system of benevolence that didn't undermine the responsibility to do the work. Now, of course... There are those who can't work, right? There are those facing all kinds of trouble that they just need your help. And and we're going to show them that mercy. But we need to be careful because sometimes the way that we do mercy doesn't help the person out in the end, right? And so we evaluate the need, we identify the obligation, we prioritize the church, we withhold in wisdom, and then fifthly, And as all of these principles need to be in place and followed, the last principle we see here in verses 16 is to unleash your mercy. Unleash your mercy. Verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened. Why? So that it may care for those who are truly widows. As the Ephesian church was called to serve those who were truly widows, we want to make sure that we are extending mercy to those who truly need it. Friends, we can't be so overwhelmed with trying to help everyone that we can't truly care for those in desperate need. When you give yourself to everything, you end up doing nothing. You have to be careful. What's true is that the church can be so overburdened by giving itself to too much that it produces problems. I mean, I know of a local church that that started out a mercy ministry of sorts to a local community, and, and it all started with great intentions, and it was embraced by the public, and it really took off. It was exciting. It was a success story. But in the end, the ministry required so much attention that it became a burden, that that Mercy ministry became the focus and the burden of that church, and it became so overwhelming that it caused some real problems for that church. So we got to be careful. We're called to be the hands and the feet of Christ, showing and extending mercy, yes, in practical ways, right? But we can't let mercy override the mission of the church. We can't let practical mercy ministry override the ultimate message of mercy that is found only in Jesus Christ. 
Right? Sometimes in our focus on social causes, social issues, and mercy ministry, sometimes the message gets sidelined, right? The gospel gets lost, and what ends up happening is that the message of true, everlasting mercy ends up being bound and leashed. When, when, when Jesus met the woman at the well, right, he not only gave her practical water, what did he tell her? Right? He's going to take her to living water. The message of saving mercy. Friends, the message of saving mercy must always accompany practical mercy. That as our mission, yes, is to have the compassion of Christ towards the poor and the needy, as Jesus always did. His practical compassion was always meant to point forward to his saving compassion. The gospel message of the kingdom of God. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And that as great as temporary help is, the greatest news and the greatest eternal help is that God so loved the world. That he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That while we were yet sinners, Christ came to live for us and came to die for us the perfect sinless life that we could never live and the just death that we all deserved. Jesus came to take the penalty. Jesus came to take the judgment. Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that in him we can become the righteousness of Christ. This is the greatest mercy of all time. We can't let an overburden of practical ministry come between that and the message to the lost and the needy. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The greatest act of all acts is the cross of Jesus Christ the greatest act of mercy, the greatest act of help, the greatest act of generosity and charity, that overflowing mercy of God towards us was on that cross. So as we seek to be a healthy church, and as a healthy church is a merciful church, how Timothy needed guidance with the mercy ministry to widows, so we need guidance as well. We need guidance in our efforts of, of ministry as a church so that in the end, ultimately, love will be shown, mercy will be shown, but the eternal message of mercy would be unleashed towards the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As we look at this text, it, Initially, it just it seems far off in our context. And, and yes, as we consider widows in the, mercy, in, in, in the ministry here explained, we, we see how that readily applies to that. But how do we apply that here? Um, we've just asked you that, and we pray that, that as we move forward as a church, as we seek to love the lost, as we seek to love the hurting, the destitute, the poor, that we would also follow your wisdom. And more than that, what we want is that the true message of mercy through Jesus Christ, the gospel, that that, would, that wouldn't be 
overburdened and, and hidden underneath uh, us busying ourselves with so many things, but that that would be at the center. And that with the extension of mercy, we would always be extending the mercy of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying, hurting world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. That in our sin, you came for us. Your mercy poured out towards us. And as we seek as well to extend that same mercy to the world, we ask for your Spirit's help and your guidance for the days ahead. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media to stay up to date on current events and information from Redemption Church, Calgary South. And don't forget, you are loved.